to encourage people, if you want a, a little shorter, tighter service, you got to come to the 8.30 or the 10 a.m. At the 11.30, we kind of go for it a little bit more, and that's okay, right? So uh, if you would, open up your Bibles. I'm going to read uh, scripture out of 2 Corinthians 5, uh, and then I'm going to um, preach to you a little bit. How's that sound? Does that sound okay? How many like came to hear a little bit of preaching? Ha! Come on, somebody! Some of you are like, hey, can you do that? Sure, if you want me to. Praise God. It's my birthday. I'll preach how I want to. Ooh, glory. Technically, it's not my birthday till Wednesday, but it's my birthday week. So, yeah. And I just uh, pretty much like, you know, take advantage of that and uh, manipulate everyone to give me presents. Praise God. So, learn it from my wife. I mean, um, I, uh, hey, baby. Hey, can we get up for the first lady? Come on, somebody. She is so beautiful. So anointed. What in the world, man? I can't even believe how anointed you are. Uh, so we're going to continue our series, and today we're going to talk about the church is. The church is for you. The church is not against you. Amen? And we're going to talk about how we uh, should be a people that are for others, for humanity. The church should be a place where we can become the best version of ourselves, which is who we are in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. Are you all ready? All right. So let's, uh, let's read out of 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to read you just a few verses. And we're going to talk about some stuff here. Verse 14, I'm going to be reading it out of the message, okay? So if you're not looking at the message, the message is uh, by Eugene Peterson. He translated it, and it's more of a contemporary, beautiful, beautiful translation. And we like to glean from different translations. How many know that there's not one translation that is above the other? They're all good. Some are closer to the original. Some are word for word. Some are thought for thought. But we like to glean from all the different translations that are out there. Amen? Except the New World Translation. Praise God. Because they changed it in the Greek. That's the Jehovah Witness Translation. All right. <laughs> Who's my apologist on the second row right here? Come on, somebody. Do you remember when you memorized John 1-1? Probably to battle Jehovah's Witnesses. Yes, <laughs> that's right. The word was a God. There's no article in the Greek. Okay, so... We're going to read, uh, all the Bible nerds are like, you know, feeling us. Everyone else is like, what are you talking about, y'all? Uh, I'm going to read from the message translation from verse 14. Paul's writing to the church. He says, our firm decision is to work from this focus center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death. I want you to say this, say included. included. Say it again, say Included. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. That's, that's a really good verse to just settle in on. Can I just read the second part again? We don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. Amen. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. He's like, you remember that undercover boss episode where the creator took on flesh and we crucified him? Okay. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside and what we see uh, is 
that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. Well, just wave at me like this if you're thankful for a fresh start. Hallelujah. Second chance, third chance, fourth chance, a hundred chance, a thousand. Come on, sold, two thousand chance, four thousand chance. Glory to God. And then he goes on. He says, anyone's united with Christ gets a fresh start, is created new. Uh, the old life is gone, a new life burgeons. Look at it. All this comes from a God who settled relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. Wow. I love how he puts that and how the scripture's uh, teaching us something there, that our relationships with God actually affect our relationships with one another. Amen? I think sometimes we're so focused on this individualistic understanding of our relationship with God and our calling and our destiny that we forget how connected we are to one another and our relationships with one another really reflect our relationship with God. So if we know the love of God and we know the Father's love, we know forgiveness. This is, Jesus taught this, you know, like if, if you, to him who's forgiven much, they, they forgive. Like this is just how it works. And so Paul's saying that, he, uh, he's given us a task of telling everyone about this, okay? Um, and, and it says, we are Christ's representatives. Oh, I love, I skipped a part here. Hold on. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We are Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. Isn't that good? Can I just say something to you real quick? Um, God was never your enemy on his side. You know, we, we think that God, for some reason, was like, well, I was, I was an enemy of God. You know what the Bible says in Colossians? We are enemies of God in our mind. Because we thought he was opposing us, but it was actually us opposing him. We're the ones that turned away. Do you remember the story in the beginning of the book? Hello? Are you all awake? Did you all change traditions on me? Like, we're Pentecostal during worship, and then all of a sudden, you're like some quiet tradition? Are you still Holy Ghost? Are you? Come on. Can we get an organ going up here? Come on, somebody. I need some help. I preach better when you respond, and I won't pull up my backup. My backup sermon is sinners in the hands of an angry God. So if y'all don't say amen, I'll pull that thing out, and we'll just read what Jonathan Edwards had to say, that Calvinist. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I love this, man. This is so powerful. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. He's already closer than you can comprehend. You've been reconciled. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. You're reconciled to God. He's right there. When you get saved, it's not like all of a sudden God's close. He was always close. He's ringing your doorbell, knocking on the door, just all up. He's chasing you down. His love burns for you. And so this is Paul. He's saying, listen, you've been reconciled to God, and that affects our relationship with one another. But I love what he says here. It's like he's saying, God didn't count the world's sins against them. Are you thankful for that? Yeah? And, and there's this picture, this imagery of how sometimes I think we as the church are more known for what we're against than for what we're for. And we should be for people, not against them. And I want to talk about how a church that is healthy should be a church 
that is a place for love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Now, when we accept, when we forgive, we're going to talk a little about this. That doesn't mean that we affirm sin. Hello? But we love and accept people right where they're at because it's the love of God that confronts us where we are and we learn who we really are in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on, he says, how you ask it was Christ, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could put, be put right with God. Uh, and the New King James would say something like this, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Can you say amen? All right, now I'm going to pray for your salvation. Praise God. Okay. <laughs> Father, I'm just playing. Father, thank you so much for your people. Uh, thank you for the 1130. They are just a crazy bunch. Praise God. The 830 is definitely more saved, but we still love this service. And uh, the 10, 10 o'clock is like they are just soldiers for Christ. And we're not sure what this bunch is, but we still love them. And I hope they know I'm kidding, Lord. Um, but Father, we do pray that you just open our hearts uh, to what you're doing. And thank you for such an amazing worship community that we have here and leaders. And, uh, and thank you for never ever, 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 uh, not manifesting your presence. If I said that right, like you're, you're so faithful, God, to kiss our gatherings with your glorious presence. And we pray these things in Jesus name. Would you just shout out? Amen. 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 Uh, so I, I want to talk to you about this, this understanding of the church, the church is for you. Uh, how many love technology? Wave, wave at me. If you love technology, come on somebody. How many saw Napoleon dynamite? Did you ever see the end where skip does a song? And it's like, I still love technology. It's not as much as you. Something like that. Always and forever. Who remembers that? Any Napoleon Dynamite fans? Whatever. Thanks a lot, guys. But listen, technology is like a blessing and a curse. How many know that, right? Like there are things that I love about the iPhone, but then when I had the revelation that I don't even have my children's numbers memorized because I rely on my contacts, right? It's like, dude, I don't even know. I don't even know my wife's phone number. No, I do. I'm just kidding. That's probably the only one I know. But you remember back in the day, you actually had to memorize phone numbers. Now we just rely. Now that, that's the bad side. How many know the positive side though, parents, is that I can see where my kids are all the time. Come on, somebody. David's on his way home, right? This girlfriend, geez, Lord have mercy. You know, Sarah's hanging out with some guy and they're talking or whatever. Hey, you on your way home? Yeah, we're on Lake Mead. I'll pull it up and see if she's lying, right? <laughs> Why are you parked on the side of the road? Rochelle, give me the shotgun. I'm out. <laughs> Go meet him over there. Come on, somebody. How many dads feel me right now? Come on. <clears throat> Get off my daughter. <laughs> Did she say you could hold her hand, right? <laughs> There's a blessing and a curse. Like, I love being able to know where my kids are. I, there's, how many love speech to text when it works? Does it ever just not work at all? I said nothing like that. Have you, ever, have you ever spoken tongues and see if it can interpret your tongue? I've done it. And it, like, says crazy stuff, bro. No, I'm just playing. And it's like, that says the Lord. No, it doesn't. Speech to text is great, but sometimes autocorrect is a curse. Come on, somebody. You accidentally text someone a cuss word. You're like, no, I'm saved. I promise. How many accidentally did that? 
How many did it on purpose? Raise your hand here in church, don't lie. Dang, some people are just honest, like, yep, just did it right before church. <laughs> SOB, son of a bleep. That's Christian cussing, by the way. Just add the beep and you're good, right? What the beep? Right, okay. I'm so sorry about that. I, one of my pet peeves, though, okay, let, let me just try to get serious now. One of my pet peeves is that we have lost touch with people in relation to, like, commercial things. You know, we have, like, companies offer product services. How many can just feel me right now that they, I, I cannot stand when I'm trying to call a company that I pay for services for and I can't even talk to a human being. It's artificial intelligence, and I have to press 18 buttons beep, to get to a human being, right? How many are with me? Like, can we just get back to old school where someone answers the phone and it's not a recorded message? Speaking of recorded messages, who gets their, whose phone blows up with like student loan stuff all the time? <laughs> Pray for me. The wrath of Zach is coming forth right now. Man, I, I'm telling you right now, here's what I do, God. This is, guys, this is a secret. God showed me. Here's what I do. I call it, my wife's learning this tool. It'll save you time. Well, if you're calling a company and it's like, hi, please, 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 that's all I hear. I don't, if it's not a human, I don't even hear what they're saying. Here's what I do. I don't hit zero. I don't, I don't listen for what the menu says. I go, representative. <laughs> then I set the phone down. Just wait a minute. And then if it still is going through its thing, because, you know, the computers are smart. Robots are trying to take over the world, right? And I do it again. I'm like, representative. And then I do it again. Representative, representative, representative. Rochelle did it the other day. It worked, didn't it? Told you. How many are just saying, like, no more artificial intelligence, right? Now, I think, ready? I think the church sometimes has set up all of these systems to where we don't actually connect and reach one another, and the church is supposed to be for people, then we should actually build relationships with people. Hello? Like, it shouldn't take somebody, you know, 14, going through 14 armor bearers to talk to the pastor on a Sunday. Hello? What happened to relationality? What happened to community? What, if we're four people, then we shouldn't have to jump through hoops. If we're preaching the gospel, the good news, then we should be, our hearts should be open. Our arms should be open to people that need the love of God. I feel like sometimes we even have this religious autocorrect thing. Have you ever just had a whole week where you're on autocorrect? And you're trying to fix everybody else, but you forget that God's still fixing you? Come on, somebody. Leaders do it all the time, man. You know, we're on autocorrect. Have you ever text, you know, you text someone and the autocorrect comes out. We do it sometimes with this religious autocorrect. But the fact is that we should be, uh, we're not called to any of that. Rather, we should be experiencing God's loving arms wide open through his church. People should be experiencing. And I want to talk to you about something right now. I want to talk to you about that the community of the saints should be a place of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. The concept of coming to God through our religious minds is that we have to jump through some hoops. We have to believe. If you don't have faith, it's impossible, right? And what is faith anyways? Faith to us in the religious sense is mental assent and not thinking any doubtful thoughts. Well, if that's the case, then none of us are saved, right? 
Like, is, has anyone, you know, had no doubtful thoughts this last month? You know, we're people of doubt, but that's not what faith is. So we have all these religious hoops. We have, we have all these things that we've got to do, all these religious obstacles when God's like, no, I just want you to come as you are. And as the church, if we actually believe the outrageous goodness of the gospel that God actually loves, accepts, and forgives us, we will demonstrate that to the world and we will be pro-people, not against people. The church is for you, not against you. But we have to know that God is for us. We have to know that church is for us. It's a, a place, a community where we can grow, where we can become the best version of ourselves in Christ Jesus. You know, back in the day, uh, and moms, you can, you can testify to this, if you wouldn't allow your kid to come in the house with mud on their shoes. But how many know that God, God doesn't need you to clean yourself up? You come as you are, and he puts a new robe of righteousness on you. He doesn't affirm the dirt that you got yourself in or affirm the pain, but he heals you. He puts oil on, on your wounds. Come on, somebody. He gives you the wine of his love. And it's the love of God that transforms our hearts. And I think as the church, We've got to get this because sometimes we will look at the lost with a little different, a little different angle. You know, we're going to look at the lost like, well, yeah, I, w- I was in your place at one time, and until I, you know, until I, I prayed this magical prayer and I decided to follow Jesus, and you know, we put we put all of the the credit on our end that we made a decision for Christ, which I do believe we have to choose. We have to open our hearts to the love of God. But how many know? None of us here would have opened our hearts to the love of God if it wasn't for a loving father chasing us down. If it wasn't for the awakening that he is merciful, that he is gracious, that he is kind, that he is accepting, that he is loving. Yet while we were sinners, Romans 5 eight, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love. And the reason we repent, the reason we come to God is because he demonstrated his love. So I think we got to be uh, the, the most accepting, loving, and forgiving people on the planet. That doesn't mean that people can do whatever they want. Because how many know love is not passive? Love is not like, oh, I love everybody. And, you know, love is strong. Love confronts. Sometimes the reason we don't like healthy confrontation is because we don't know how to love. In relationships, you know, and we're passive and people walk all over us or, or the other way around. And we don't, we don't confront. No, love confronts. You know, love has assertive conversations. Say, hey, bro, I didn't like that, right? Yeah. Instead, we'll be passive and then we'll gossip about someone who hurt us. But the reality of God's love, when we know his love, when we know his acceptance and love, we, that forgiveness comes out of us and we are a forgiving people and a loving People, the place of the community of God's saints should be a place of love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Look at the prodigal son running into the arms of the father. I want to read uh, that just a few verses in Luke 15 in the Passion Translation. Who knows the story of the prodigal son, right? There's two sons. The young son says, Dad, I want all the money that I would get if you died. So in other words, you're dead to me. That's what it was like in that culture. Very offensive, horrible. And the father, gracious, could have said, forget you, son, but he gave him the money, and the son squandered it. He went to Vegas, got some poker chips. Oh, sorry, that's not what it says, but you get the point, right? Prodigal living. Then he finds himself eating pig's food, and he's like, what am I doing here? My father's servants eat better than this, and they actually have a place to dwell. 
So I'm going to go back to my dad, and I'm going I'm to just, you know, come up with this thing and, and say, Dad, can I just be one of your servants? You know, I, I was wrong. I'm so sorry. And I'm unworthy to be called your son. And so he heads home. And that's what I'm going to pick up on verse 20 in the Passion Translation, Luke chapter 15. So the young son set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. Oh, I love that, man. You know, sometimes we think when we mess up or we turn away that I wonder if God loves me. I think if this is possible, it's almost like his love is magnified at us when we are turned away. It's almost like that fire of his love becomes even more, uh, more real to us. And we realize that he is the one who will leave the 99 to come after the one. The father's love, it says the compassion swelled up in his heart. Jesus is telling this story to give us a glimpse of the father's love. That the father, we couldn't even begin to comprehend the love that the father has for us. So the father raced out to meet him. How many know they didn't run in the first century? Older men, it was disrespectful to run. But Jesus was telling this story. It was, it was shock and awe. They're like, what? Why would this elder man run only because he was completely like just forgiving and loving towards his son. It didn't matter what the culture thought was uh, honorable or dishonorable. He was demonstrating his love. It says the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over and over. I'm inserting that. And over with tender love. You know that the prodigal son hadn't said anything yet. He didn't say one word. And the father grabs him and hugs him. Now, think about our Christian artificial intelligence, our Christian mechanics, and our religious autocorrect. Well, before you, you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this. Now, how about you come home? And guess what? We're open arms because the church is for you, not against you. You might not know who you are. And yeah, you came in with some dirt. But guess what? The dirt isn't you. So we'll just get you some new clothes. Come on, somebody. We're going to get you a new robe because he was made sin for us that we might be called the righteousness of God in Christ. So we have a new robe of righteousness. He calls us righteous. We are accredited as righteous. It's as if we've never committed a sin. He looks at it and says, oh, I love you. You're sin free. Hallelujah. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. That's the love of God. He hugs him and he kisses him and he pours out. He ravishes him with love before he prays or says anything. Now remember, this is a pre-rehearsed prayer and the son is about to get out this pre-rehearsed prayer. But if you really research it, it was an orphan prayer. It was a servant-minded prayer. I'm not worthy to be your son. How many know the father... Never at one point do we see, well, you know, now I'm going to call you son again. The whole time the guy's gone in Vegas gambling, he's still his son. He's still his son, no matter what. How many parents would say, it doesn't matter how far. If one of my kids, they're still my son. Oh, can you imagine that intense love you have for your kids? Magnify that a trillion, billion Google, Google times. It doesn't even compare to the love that the Father has for humanity. My goodness. And it doesn't mean he affirms sin. It just, it means that he, he, he knows how to clean us up. And the way he cleans us up is radical love. 
That's the way he fixes us. That's the way he heals us. It's like, no, 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 you, you, you just didn't know who you were. Come, come, let me love on you. Let me just love the crap out of you. Yes, I said it. I said crap in church. I've been wanting to do my whole life. Finally, got to do it in this message. My wife's like, you said it like a million times, sweetie. <laughs> And here's what he says. So the son spouts off his prayer. Father, I was wrong and I sinned against you. I could never be deserved to be called your son. Just let me be. The father interrupted and said, son, you're home now. Oh, what if we just started praying? God, interrupt our orphan-minded prayers. God, interrupt our orphan-minded religious activity. God, interrupt our autocorrect. God, interrupt all of the artificial fellowship that we've created. Come on, somebody. God, would you bring your radical love and interrupt our prophecies that are orphan-minded? Thus says the Lord God, I'm going to bring judgment upon thee. Well, if I read my Bible correctly, new covenant prophet is for encouragement, hello, and comfort. A lot of our prophetic words today are just, turn on CNN, man, it ain't no different. You're just putting, thus says the Lord behind it. <laughs> right? That doesn't tell me anything. If you read prophetic things in the, in the Old Testament, the prophets would call the opposite of out. Says, yeah, it looks really dark, but guess what? God says, I'm going to do this. A light's going to come. Things are going to change. My people are going to come home. Come on, somebody. It looks like there's dry bones in the valley, but guess what? Ezekiel prophesied of the four winds because that's going to become an army of the living God. That's what the prophetic gift is. It's a seed from heaven that says, watch this thing grow. Watch what I'm about to do. Not the opposite. Judgment. That's not, that's not prophecy. That's not prophetic. That's pathetic. Yes, I said it. God, let your love interrupt our pathetic propheticness. Yes, Lord. How many just received that rebuke? Yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm so mature when I get rebuked. Yeah, I just love rebukes. I love the wrath of God. The fire of his love. <laughs> Glory. Where was I? So he gets his prayer interrupted. The father interrupted and said, son, you're home now. Stop that. Stop that. You're home now. Your son. Son, you're home now. He doesn't say, okay, you can be a servant for six months and join my discipleship program. He said, no, you're a son. You're a son. It doesn't mean that those things are bad, but like, you're a son. You're a daughter. You, it's, it's who you are. But I got all this dirt. And the father didn't grab him and say, man, you smell like pig dung. I'm not going to kiss your cheeks. He kissed him over and over. He didn't say, oh, this robe is filthy. He hugged him. And with all of his stuff, well, God cannot look upon sin. One verse in the Old Testament taken out of context. The next verse, the prophet says, then why do you, Lord? And if Jesus is God incarnate, what do he do? Have blindfold on when he was looked, when he's hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors? Hello? He looked right at him, not with disdain, but fiery love in his heart. He looked right at him and said, you're the reason I'm here. I came to call the sinners, not the righteous. Come on, somebody. You're the one. I'll leave the 99 for you. He looked at him. He ate with them, and he drank with them because he was madly in love with them. I think the heart of God burns when people sin. Like, oh, I just love you. I can't wait to get you. 
I can't wait to just turn your, just turn you around because you don't know who you are and I don't want you to hurt yourself anymore. My, my wrath is an extension of my love. The word wrath is orge. It's, it's where we get the word like orgy. It's like this passion, the Greek word orge. It's the same passionate love in my heart. If my little Layla was running in the street, it might sound like anger to her, but it's love. If it's like, no, Layla, turn around. Don't go in the street because I don't want her to get hit by a car. Well, we got to preach the wrath of God and the love of God. The wrath of God is an extension of his love. Well, God is love, but God is also, no. Nope, there's no but there. Sorry, no but on that one. Sorry, but lovers. Oh, sorry. (laughs) There's no but on that one, guys. God is love, period. But the justice of God, yeah, his justice was shown to us on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We think justice is this invisible scale that God has to bow to. No, God doesn't have to bow to anything he doesn't want to. Well, he had to pay our debt. Well, then that's not forgiveness. We had to take our punishment. Well, then that's not forgiveness. What's forgiveness then? Oh, I love talking about this stuff because everyone's like, oh my God, everything I've learned my whole Christian life. You're not going to find that in the Bible. Yeah, we were bought with a price. He was a ransom for many. That is a metaphor that the, the readers understood in the first century as a metaphor describing what it was like, just like in the Old Testament, come on somebody, when they were enslaved in Egypt and they were set free. Did, was there a price paid to Pharaoh so that, the, so that his people would go free? No, actually, we got all their money. Come on, somebody. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. No, forgiveness is forgiveness. God, you can't punish for sin and forgive sin at the same time. Did he, did he take on the consequences of sin? Did he take our sin? Did he? Yes, absolutely. He, he defeated death. He defeated hell, the grave. He defeated the devil. So, so like the, when we look at the cross, it's not about a demonstration of the wrath of God. It's not satisfaction of the wrath of God, but it's more a magnification of the love of God. So Jesus looked right at sinners. I love you. You're the reason I'm here. (laughs) Look at the person next to you say, he's the reason you're here. You're the reason he's here. Sorry. You're the reason he's here, sinner. No, don't say that last part. I'm just kidding. (laughs) He said, turning to his servants, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe. And I'll place it on his shoulders. Bring me the ring. That's the seal of sonship. And I will put it on his finger. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare. Oh, that I'd receive that word right there. I love shoes. Come on, somebody. Where's Laris at? He's a shoeaholic. He loves shoes. Laris, there's a word from the Lord right there. He said, the best shoes. Bring out the best shoes. <laughs> Rochelle, you like that verse too, huh? <laughs> he says... He says, let's prepare a great feast and celebrate for this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. He was once lost, but now he's found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Can you say amen? God is not waiting for us to, to, you know, fix somebody before they come into the refuge of the, the house of God. Now, I want to ask you a question, okay? It might be a trick question. I'm just saying, I want to ask you a question. Is the church a building? Yes. 
Actually, it is. Trick question. <laughs> Where's the verse on that one? It is a building. It's not a physical building. It's a spiritual building. Paul said, you are God's building, talking in the church. Church of Corinth. Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2. The church at Ephesus. He says, you are a, your living stones. And God's building you into a spiritual house. A building. Why am I saying that? The church... Well, I'm the church. No, no, no. That, that's not biblical. We're the church together. Joined. Lives joined. In Christ. We're in him. He's in us. His spirit's in us. And we are, we are learning that our joined lives become a refuge for broken people. And when we understand how included and loved and forgiven we are, we can actually minister that to other people. First John 2, 2 says that he died for our sins. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. There's power in the blood. But not only ours, John the Apostle says, or John the Theologian, he says, not only ours, but the sins of the whole cosmos. You mean that the people out there that are sinning in Las Vegas right now are forgiven? Yep, they just don't know it yet. They have to receive it. Does that mean that, that we believe everyone is going to go to heaven and spend eternity with God? Nope, because God won't violate their will. But in a mystical sense, all of humanity was included in the finished work of Jesus. It's a mystery. You were included. Paul said, I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, Galatians 2.20, but Christ who lives in me, right? I don't live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm saying this because sometimes we don't believe the gospel we claim to preach. It just sounds too good to be true. You know, like we're, we're going to church, we're doing good. And oh man, I've been such a good Christian, praise God. I've been reading my Bible and, you know, I'm serving in church. I'm a greeter and, you know, and then, and then we mess up and we're like, oh man, I wonder if God still loves me. Like you, you have no idea. Like you, of course he does. Does that mean he affirms our mistakes? Absolutely not. His love, his love, listen, his love always calls us higher. Love is not passive. Love is so powerful. Love transforms. Remember I said it earlier. I said the C word. He loves the crap out of us. Amen. Love always calls us higher. We come in with all of our mess and God accepts us and loves us. He doesn't affirm the dirt. He actually gives us new clothes and tells us the stuff we were doing out there that got us dirty is not a part of us. It's not who we are. Hey, let me get you a new outfit. Praise God. Holler at me. Come on. Who wants to go shop a new outfit? God, God clothes us with his love. God clothes us with robes of righteousness. I want to read Jeremiah 31, 12. It's talking about Zion. Zion, the city of God, the refuge. We're created to be God's building, God's spiritual house, not just for a dwelling place for his presence, but why? Why is his presence here? So it could be a place of healing for the broken. And there's lots of people out there that have been burnt by religion. They don't know the church's form because the church for so long has been known for what we're against, not for what we're for. But how many can say, at this point, I know God is for me, so I want to be for others. Come on, somebody. Where that love that he has for us just overflows and we know his love. We know that father's love and that acceptance and we just want to be the open arms of the father to a broken and hurting world. Can you say amen? amen.
Jeremiah 31, 12, the people will climb up Zion slopes, shouting with joy, their faces beaming, because God's abundance, grain and wine and oil, flocks of sheep and herds of cattle. Uh, just put that into modern day things. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Unless you're a cowboy, like, that sounds good. I'd love me a herd of cattle, praise God. Their lives will be like a well-watered garden, never again left to dry up. Geneva Bible Commentary says, by these temporal benefits that he's referring to in this verse, he means the spiritual graces which are in the church and which there will be an abundance of. The church is for you. No more false freedom thinking that I can just be whoever I want to be. No, we are created to be who God created us to be. Any identity or discovery of our true self outside of being surrounded by Jesus and what he accomplished is Gnosticism and existentialism and confusion and moving away from what God intended for our lives. Well, I just want to be whoever I want to be. Praise God. Today, I'm this. No, that's confusion. Hello? And I think it's really important that we get this. Like the church has to be ready to, to love and accept a lot of broken people. But we're calling them higher. Love calls us higher. Love transforms. Love corrects. Love protects. You know, let me just say this. When we correct and we protect, love never operates outside of relationalism or, or being relational. You can't have love without relationship. Love necessitates relationship. And, and it's important that we connect with people's hearts, especially as leaders. If I'm going to admonish somebody, I, I want to feel like their heart is open for me to speak into their life. Amen. Relationship. And we prioritize and we value. And we, like we were talking about the other day, protecting each other's hearts. God's the defender of our hearts. But I think sometimes we, we should be used by God in healthy community. We should, we should want to protect each other's hearts. In my marriage, I want to protect my wife's heart. I don't want to say anything that's going to, that's, you know, even in the safe place of communicating that spouses should all have where I, she won't take anything personal. I won't take anything personal. But I, I want to protect her heart. There's a lot of times the Lord will show me, the Holy Spirit will show me, don't say that. It will hurt their heart. It has nothing to do with me and action towards them, but maybe even what someone else said. And it's not necessarily gossip, but it's like, I'm not going to tell them that because it's going to hurt their heart. Hello? Well, whatever. Then they shouldn't be offended. No, like, not that we need to walk on eggshells, but love, love functions in healthy relationship. Amen. And that had nothing to do with the message, sort of, maybe, kind of, but it's free. In Revelation twenty two seventeen, in closing, the end of Revelation, it's like the climactic, this is what it was for, okay? There's apocalyptic literature, it goes through, and, and, uh, and we talk about some of the things that are in our future, like we know for sure the final resurrection, the final judgment, and the physical return of Jesus are in our future, right? That's in the creeds, the historic Christian creeds that have been around for centuries and centuries, but at the end of this, uh, this book, the book of Revelation, there is this evangelistic appeal where there's this picture of the city of God, the New Jerusalem, the church, 
And and there, it, it says that on the outside, the gates are open. And, and those that are saints that have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, they can come in and drink. They can come in and partake of the tree of life. But then it says, but they're sorcerers, adulterers, and murderers, and, and all these that are outside the gate. But then there's this verse. A lot of times, you know, you'll hear people quote that. Well, you know, in, in verse in chapter 21, it says that, you know, that <laughs> scripture, those who liars have their place in the lake of fire, you know. But we can't stop there. We got to keep reading. And I want to read this to you because this is really profound. And I didn't get a chance to do this the first two services. So if you allow me a couple more minutes here, I just want to read this. It's so powerful. In the last chapter of the book of Revelation, this is what it says here. This is an evangelistic appeal. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. A lot of people think, oh, wait, that's just talking about the coming of the Lord. No. Right there he's talking about the one who is thirsty. Come. The spirit and the bride. Here's what happens when we are consumed by the fire of his love, the fire of the Holy Spirit. We have this this call to those that are thirsty, those that are lost, those that are broken, and we say, come and drink freely of the waters of life. Wow. The Spirit doesn't do it without the bride, and the bride can't do it without the Spirit. Holy Spirit chooses to partner with you. He chooses to partner with you. God's waiting for the church to wake up to the revelation of the goodness of the gospel so we could actually believe what we're preaching. And I know it's outrageous that God actually loved people before the foundation of the world. God actually created us for fellowship with him. God actually values people and we're not just trash and dirt and purposeless. Come on. God actually loves humanity. No matter, listen, no matter what they've done, where they've been, there is no sin that can outsin the blood of Jesus. And there's this appeal from the heart of God by the Holy Spirit within our hearts. And our hearts begin to beat at a new rhythm. This new rhythm of life and reconciliation, not counting people's sins against them. And we say, let the Spirit and the bride say, come. The one who's thirsty, come. The one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. That is the appeal of heaven. Come. Are you thirsty? Come. The church is for you. And we should be the people that represent the heart of God to humanity and say, no, God's for you, not against you. And and healthy community will help you become the best version of yourself. Come on, somebody. How many have ever heard uh, the, the statistic, well, the marriage, the divorce rate in the world is the same as the divorce rate in the church. How many have ever heard that or said that? It's actually not true. Do you know that church going, the divorce rate in the world is like right around 50%, which is pretty bad. Do you know the divorce rate for church going Christians is just, I think, a little over 15%. It's not 100%, like, I mean, or it's not zero. There's still, you know, marriages don't work and praise God, there's grace, there's restoration. Some people turn away. But you know, for church going saint, the church is for your marriage. The church is for healthy relations. The church is for you, not against you. And I just want to squash that lie that says the divorce rate in the church is the same as the divorce rate in the world. Nope. When you go to church, it, yeah, am I manipulating you to get to church? Yes. Come on, somebody. When, when, we, when we connect with one another in healthy community and we're in the presence of God, we become the best version 
of ourselves. I want to be the best husband I can be. So I'm at church every day, every Sunday, even though I'm preaching most Sundays, I'm still coming to church. Come on. Right? Hello? That is the heart of God. The church is for you. Let me pray for you, saints. Did you all enjoy this this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace. Thank you for your mighty presence. I pray right now for every heart and every life that, Lord, we would just say yes to your implacable, undaunting, relentless, fiery love that that pursues us and chases us down, that you call us higher that you love us and your love transforms us. Your, your goodness leads us to repentance. We thank you right now that the church, the people of God, not alone, but together, your spiritual house, this building, this spiritual building that we are, the people, that we would become strong in this love, connected, joined, and linked together to be a refuge for the broken. May our hearts change so our eyes see differently and we do not hold other sins against them, but we would be the arms of the Father to a broken and hurting world. Can you say amen? You know, when we love people, evangelism is organic and easy. We don't have to like, you know, well, here's what I do. You know, let me show you some scriptures in Romans. And you got to confess with them. Pray this prayer with me. And you just love them. You just love them. Love them. And you can pray with them. Lead them in sinner's prayer if you want. There's lots of ways to really connect people with the heart of God. But I think so many times we try to do this stuff outside of relationship and it becomes toxic. And then we're out there on the streets trying to get another notch on our belt. And it's, that's not evangelism. That's just self-righteous Christianity. When we love people and we see them with the eyes of God, we value them. And then we want to call the gold out. Then we want to see them come alive in who they are. Then we want to see them become the best version of themselves in Christ. Can you say amen? Say this with me. Say, the church is for you. And, and say this. Say, I'm the church with you. We are the church. And we are for humanity. Because God loves people. Amen. Amen. Seal it one more time with praise. Honey, would you come? Have the prayer team come up and dismiss. God bless you. Don't forget there's cake. It's birthday Sunday for me after service. Did you guys enjoy that this morning? It's good. Well, if you need prayer for anything, I'm going to invite my prayer team to come up here and make themselves available. And if you need somebody to partner with you, pray with you, you want to receive Jesus, you say, I, I've never heard a message like this before, that I've already been forgiven, and, and I need to, to step into that, and I want to be welcomed, and, and our team will pray with you. And, um, and I just want to remind you, if it's your first time, please stop at our Welcome Center at the back. Uh, join a revival group this week. And ladies, we kick off our uh, women's ministry this Saturday at 10 a.m. Come for breakfast, worship in the word. Join us this Saturday. All right, we love you. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. You're dismissed.